This is the Garden Cinema Film Talk, presented by Michael Chambers and Abla Kandalaft. We chat with filmmakers, actors, producers and film commentators about the art of film. We talk about the films they made, how they made them and the ones they'd like to make. This week, Michael and I are joined by Dan Chambers. Dan is a producer and commissioner and is the co-founder and creative director of Blink Films. He was previously director of programs at Channel 5 and has decades of experience in making, producing and commissioning factual content. He's joined us to talk about the non-fiction format and documentaries in general. Thank you very much, Dan, for joining us. My pleasure. So can you tell us a bit more about what you're currently doing and a bit more about your background as a filmmaker, as a producer and as a documentary commissioner as well? So I am uh, one of the three creative directors at Blink Films. We're one of the bigger uh, British factual production companies. Uh, And we make a whole range of shows from history and science and documentary. And we also do cooking and... Uh, yeah, we're in most areas of uh, factual programming. And so before then, I was both a commissioning editor at Channel 4 and Channel 5. And for three years, I was the head of programs at Channel 5. And before then, I was a director and before that, an assistant producer. Thank you very much. So, Michael, what's your interest here in factual, non-fiction, or how would you describe it, documentary films? Well, as much interest as anyone who likes film, really. Uh, my father was a documentary filmmaker, so I, as a kid I used to see them being made. It's an interesting um, form of uh, exposition, really, of what's going on. And the camera is an amazing machine for recording reality as it actually is. And uh, so a documentary filmmaker has a wonderful piece of equipment at his disposal. <laughs> Daniel can tell us about uh, the various ways it's used and uh, its strengths and weaknesses. What would you say its strengths are? Uh, well, compared to movie making, it's easy and it's cheap and um, anyone can do it. You can make a documentary on your phone. Uh, and so the bar to entry for any documentary is really low. That's both a strength and a weakness. It means that there's uh, an awful lot of documentaries that get made, uh, but many of them aren't very watchable. But it means that if someone wants to be a documentary maker, they don't necessarily have to go to film school and they don't have to have a vastly expensive camera. They can just get on and do it. Or they're in the right place at the right time. Given the genre, wouldn't you say that a documentary falls under much more scrutiny than a work of fiction. Think about a work of non-fiction. It's such a, there's such a vast range of things that it covers from uh, special factual shows at one end where they are sometimes retrospective with talking heads and archive and telling stories that are in the past. And then on the other extreme, you've got events that are happening, actuality that's being filmed by the documentary maker who really is just a fly on the wall, who's not shaping circumstances at all. They're just there filming things. And then their job is to try and take that material and from it craft something that accurately captures the situation as it's playing out. Uh, And in in its extreme form, you have these fixed rigs now, like in some of the Channel 4 shows, like 24 Hours in A&E, where there's not even 
uh, a cameraman. It's just a rig of cameras uh, and they record the events as it happens and then take the key elements of it to try and tell the the events uh, as they occurred. And so, yeah, on the one hand, you've got something that's very much in the past with the hand of the author deciding what elements to bring out. And then on the other, you've got something which is really just an attempt to capture the reality of the situation. You can never really trust, a, just like any article in the newspaper, you can never really trust a documentary simply to tell the objective truth. You've always got to know who's behind the camera and who's editing it, especially who's editing it. The editor can produce completely opposing angles on it according to their preference. And anyone who says that's not the case, yeah, that's right. It has to be the case, doesn't it? That whether you realise it or not, yeah. anyone is bringing their own yeah. point of view to bear on it. And sometimes you do it explicitly, yeah. and other times you do it with being less aware of it. And you can you can make an endeavour to try and uh, capture events. Uh, as they are, but inevitably there's going to be the hand of the editor or the director or yeah. some input. If you're, if you're now advising the, the viewers now, are there any uh, clues as to whether the this uh, documentary is being highly angled and not to be trusted, or on the other hand, that it can be trusted? Huh. Um, I think most, most documentaries that have been commissioned by a broadcaster have gone through the rigorous procedure of standards of practice where uh, at minimum there can't be stuff in it that's untrue because uh, the lawyers identify it and they correct it so if something is factually incorrect or if you've presented someone in a defamatory light that's unfair someone will pick up on it and and that won't go through that way there are there are documentaries made by the far right in America, the, the far left in America that are, are clearly advocating a point of view and other people would see those and go, God, that's outrageous. That's not how events are. And that's quite an established documentary form that you, you put a polemic across uh, and it's quite a good form. You put a polemic across in an outspoken way. It's an argument, but it's an argument in pictures and You'd call it a documentary, but effectively, it's a polemic. It's a it's a point of view. The point of view question seems to come up quite a lot. I'd love to hear your opinion on um, the recent rise in popularity of true crime, uh, initially in the form of podcasts, but also in documentaries and Netflix's role in that. And I'm thinking more specifically, as we're talking about the staircase. Um, which I don't know, Michael, if you've seen it. The Staircase is a is a true crime documentary, I guess you'd call it, about a husband who is accused of uh, murdering his wife, of pushing her down the stairs. The documentary is very much about why he might not have done it, basically. But that's the thing. The documentary is made with him and the perspective is really from his point of view. So I found myself sympathising with him for a start. Well, you, you know, that's the beauty about, about non-fiction is you're given a glimpse at someone's, someone else's life and it creates empathy. Um, but that's kind of the risk as well. And now they're making a fiction film based on... I've seen the on the buses, it's out, yes, isn't it? Yeah. on the staircase with Colin Firth. I'm interested to just hear your perspective on this because you've worked in non-fiction for so long. 
on this rise in this very particular genre of true crime and why it's popular and what what you make of the perspective of the filmmaker and its often obvious bias? Well, I'd start by saying The Staircase is a truly brilliant documentary series. <laughs> it's magnificent. And for people who haven't seen it, they should see it. Even if they're not interested in true crime, it's just a cut above the rest because you just don't know what's going on. You think you've understood it and then things change and they change again and again. And it's masterfully made uh, where the information release is what uh, those you know, certain kind of documentary makers strive for because when you flip in terms of your understanding, you flip big time and then again. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant viewing experience in a way that you rarely get with documentary. So yeah, I would I would definitely advise anyone to see that. The whole rise of true crime, I mean, you're right to point that out. This has come along, it seems to have coincided with the, the streamers. The rise in true crime documentaries seem to basically have followed the pattern of Netflix, rolling out and then uh, Amazon and and all of the other streamers as well. Uh, and I imagine what it is, is for, for many, many years, drama basically has saturated the true crime genre, whether it's Law and Order or CSI or the British equivalents. So for so many years in US TV and on, in British broadcasting, you turn on the telly and somewhere to be found, there's a crime procedural playing out. And we all got a bit fed up with them. And then Netflix came along with bags of cash and they realized that they could take the very best true crime stories, give it to the best documentary makers. Uh, and rather than it just being fiction, you have real people talking about things that happened to them. Uh, and yeah, a lot of real crime is ghastly and awful, but the really good stories that have psychology and insight and twists make for really brilliant television in the hands of a, a good documentary maker. And so what Netflix found doing some of these early films was that there was a massive audience for them and they were talked about and people went back for more. And so they really... Um, created or had a big role in creating the genre and then other people jumped on the bandwagon and then terrestrial television jumped on the bandwagon too and so when I go to America and I was there week before last when you meet with the networks a lot of them are briefing out that they want crime now and so it spread from just the streamers uh, across the board interestingly though because there's been such an explosion of it in the last few years um, a lot of people are turned off violent crime now uh, and that's kind of reached a saturation point the fascination now for netflix and a lot of the other streamers is non-violent crime and in particular what they call tech crime and so what's possible whether it's in bitcoin or silicon valley or uh, often really wealthy people doing white collar crime where there's a good story to be told with twists and turns fraud Oh, fraud, like yeah, Tinder that's a great. swindler. Tinder swindler, that's yeah. a good example. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, and you can see why people like it. It, I mean, look, this is going to sound a bit earlier than that, but it, if there's lots of it everywhere on terrestrial TV and on all the streamers, it kind of squeezes out other genres, uh, and there is something slightly corrosive about it. Not any one of the shows, but just the sheer volume of it. At some level, you go, oh, my God, give me something else that isn't just people killing each other or breaking the law. 
Well, in the past, the tradition of documentary was always that it's informative, educational, uh, focusing on serious issues, um, and turning documentary into entertainment, which is a, it's wonderful for the audience, they can enjoy it, but it's getting away from the traditional role of documentary, which is to widen your knowledge of um, whatever it is, whether it's medicine or the way people live in Africa or wherever. Um, it had a serious purpose, documentary, in the old days, but documentary's entertainment um, sweeps the board because it captures the audience. Um, whether that's a good thing, I suppose it's good entertainment, but one hopes that also people want to be educated, want to be, they want their, their uh, understanding to be expanded and enriched and all the rest of it. Um, because otherwise documentary and drama really merge with each other and uh, <laughs> everything's entertainment. Yeah, but that's it. When in the past you had two channels and then three channels and then four channels and everything had to be curated by just a handful of individuals who could choose what the money was spent on, you could get figures like Lord Reef who basically could determine what the criteria was for spending money on whether it's drama or factual shows and so you had public service television public service television only really works uh when there's a, a limited supply of the content and um as soon as you open up to the market which has happened now even though you get public service television being made people don't come to it because actually you want to go to the things that are more grabby and entertaining there's still a tiny minority of people who come to it but the bbc doesn't get the 15 million people sitting down to watch a documentary like it did 20 years ago a documentary does well now to get a million viewers how do you feel about that do you feel your job's gradually devalued i love entertaining <laughs> television yeah uh, and um, the, the, there are some areas of um, the old public service world that I miss that, that public service television like the BBC and Channel 4 to an extent used to do science stories really well, Horizons and Equinox. It used to do business stories really well. And, and in the market, some of those shows that had more content, they still told really brilliant stories, but perhaps the area was a bit more niche. Those have been lost and this huge... Um, wave of crime, whether it's violent crime or tech crime, has basically squeezed them out. Michael, what sorts of documentaries have um, had an impact on you? It's had the most impact? Gosh, I can't answer that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. I know. I know. It's a good question. It's a good question. I... You've seen a lot of documentaries over the years, haven't you? It's not It's not because you, you're not familiar with them. No, it's, no. What, it's just struggling to find one that rises to the top of the bar. Has more impact than others. Well, I suppose. I mean, I'm 80 now, so my memory goes way back. And the, big, the biggest impact, of course, were these powerful documentaries about the war, either the war in the Second World War, these documentaries. I mean, you'll never forget them. When the army brought their army film units into the the uh, death camps when they were opened up and the cameras went in and recorded it, it was unforgettable. Or the, uh, the, the, the uh, documentary makers who went into Vietnam when the war was going on. Wartime documentaries have a power um, quite unlike any other. 
and they attracted very good filmmakers. The Second World War was covered by brilliant filmmakers. Um, well, whenever you get injustice or horrors being committed, uh, a documentary maker who tells the story accurately can say something powerful. So if I think back to uh, when I was young and I was being drawn into documentary making, watching that famous film about someone on death row called 13 Days in May, I think it was called, and um, realising what the individual went for as they were sitting on death row, not knowing what was going to happen in their future with a brilliant lawyer trying their best to get them off a crime that they almost certainly hadn't committed. And uh, a film like that makes you realise the injustice of uh, so many political systems, so many legal systems, and um, it, it makes you angry, and it makes you angry for good reason. And, uh, and, and film can do that. It's if it shines a light on something where there's a terrible injustice being committed, uh, people are more likely to act to do something about it. And then, of course, there are the, the uh, dramas made by filmmakers like Ken Loach, which begin to approach documentary-style filmmaking. Uh, using non-professional actors, dealing with subjects which a documentary filmmaker would cover, uh, with the added um, drama of a, of, a, of a story that they've written. Um, so you get a slight merger there of the documentary and the drama. Yeah, and there is a merger, isn't there? Because yeah. those, those films are so often based on real life. They might not be one individual, but they're characters who are a, a combination of other characters whose uh, predicaments are, are real and they have a documentary quality because uh, although it's not fly on the wall, it's a reflection of real-life experience. Yeah. I do, I'll tell you one little incident from running the cinema just in the last few weeks. Um, there's a There was a film released about um, that extraordinary... Uh, sales technique used in Texas where they get people to put themselves through two or three days of sheer horror not sleeping with their hands on the truck trying to win it the one who survived longest without taking his hands off the truck um, won it and um, you got dozens of competitors wanting to you know hard up wanting a truck for three days work as it were uh, competing and the documentary about it called uh, Hands on a Hard Body was unforgettable because it was it showed you these people really suffering and um, desperate to win this damn thing and putting three days they all went mad at the end because you know three days without sleep affects the brain and you do go mad and in the end they all ended up uh, falling away uh, but one of them fell away last and he got the truck and then they made a film of it the same thing, but they had actors doing it. And, of course, they wrote the script for the actors. They thought this would be even better than the documentary. This would be a really great film. And it failed totally because you knew they were actors. Yeah, when you have a documentary, it doesn't need to necessarily obey all the rules of drama to be a success, does it? It's if there's an immediacy and an, an honesty to it and, the, and you can see something that's playing out Across your your the course of your career, you've commissioned very different types of uh, factual 
TV, documentaries and so on. What was the common thread? What made a good story worth telling? Because some of them dealt with cooking, as you said, some of them were serial killer documentaries, um, real life exploits, etc. Well, I, I've got the areas that I love doing myself uh, that are my personal passions, which I do a lot more of at the moment. And they tend to be uh, factual uh, investigations at the core of them uh, have something that we're building or creating. Uh, in one case, we um, were lucky enough to come across a two and a half thousand year old tablet that had uh, the original plans for a, an ark, which the British Museum curators said they thought were very likely the inspiration for the ark in the Bible. And we rebuilt that. We, we rebuilt it in, 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 in its uh, actual form. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I love documentary making where there's real investigation or there's something that we can construct or that we can dig up or that we make stuff happen as well as it just being the filmmaking. So that, that's the stuff now that I get really excited by. And I have about seven or eight of those on the go at the moment. When I was running Channel 5, I was ultimately responsible for commissioning everything that was on the channel from 2003 to 2007. So it's, um, uh, I'm not sure there was a single thread there that ran through everything, but certainly I love content i love insight i like things that are surprising i love things that are taboo breaking things that are true that other people don't say um when you're approaching networks in in the united states in europe and overseas um how do you find their approach to all this differs i mean what they want to show and what they'll reject well america's by far american britain by far our most important market uh, and there, everyone loves uh, a story where there are new revelations. And that's kind of across the board. Where So often the key thing is it's a well-known subject uh, or a well-known person, and there are new things to say that are revelatory, that shine a fresh light on them. And in a way, that's a universal, and I suspect that will never go away. And a lot of what we do is that. Um, and uh, that's... But what about the uh, continent, say? When we make shows where say france come in there is a different kind of filmmaking in france the the filmmaker is much more important so often in french tv and french documentary cinema where there might be long scenes of the filmmaker trying to figure something out or uh, or sitting on an airplane waiting to go to the next location it's a different kind of pacing where uh, i suppose i come from a tradition where every second has got to count has got to build to a bigger picture there can't be any wastage in it and it's there's nothing indulgent there's nothing about the filmmaker really it's about the subject and doing the subject justice and there is a tradition it still continues in france and i hope the french commissioners don't hate me for saying this but where the filmmakers allowed to be more of an author and yeah. sometimes that means that they put a, a kind of a quirky approach on it that is illuminating and other times it's just downright indulgent and they get away with it. Yes. yes, well, French films are very French, aren't they? Yeah, it's a different way of doing things. And it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot to be said, I suppose, for giving people more uh, freedom to do what they want. Uh, and sometimes that results in things that are 
brilliant pieces of art and other times it results in things that are just utter indulgence yeah yeah what advice would you give to a young filmmaker who thinks who's really keen on documentary and wants to make that to their their uh, career or at least have a go at it well it's kind of the opposite advice that i would give someone who wants to be a a writer you know people always say if you're going to write write what you know about uh and and that way you might stand a chance of finding something of finding an authentic voice thing with documentary making is you've got to choose a subject that is going to be interesting to other people i know that's such a statement of the obvious but so many documentaries aren't and it doesn't have to be interesting to everyone the great thing about documentary making i suppose is that it can be niche and if it plays out to a global audience that can still be a vast audience of people who come to it but it's got to be appealing to someone it can't just be appealing to you uh, um, you know you can write a novel and you can put your own insights into it and those insights might actually be uh, appealing enough to others for the novel to be a success it's really rare with a documentary maker that that that, that happens on the whole the documentary subject has got to have intrinsic interest um and what and, sort and, of interest would you how would you describe that interest are you talking about a story or a it emotion? could be a story or? it could be an individual uh it could be a subject um but it there's no point in going over things that we already know already it can't be obvious it can't documentaries generally need to say something or show something that is insightful or different and it's uh i always think if you can't sum up what is different or interesting about the documentary just in a few sentences it's probably not worth spending a load of time on it you'd have you'd have to find something that was unique extremely unique yeah 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 yeah. i was going to ask you what you thought of scripted reality and that genre uh i mean that's a whole other thing to talk about isn't it scripted reality it's it it came out of um uh, reality television like Big Brother being such a success in the early noughties uh, and it was what in about 2005 or 2006 I think the Americans started doing it first with what was it called Orange County in Britain we started doing things like The Only Way is Essex and Made in Chelsea uh, and then a whole slew of them and um, you watch them forgetting that they're drama because they use all the rules of documentary making uh and uh and they do their best to make it look as if it is uh, unscripted yeah 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 but that's part of the appeal it gives yeah. it an immediacy because yeah. these are real people doing real things it's not true to say it's entirely scripted but often what happens you've got the hand of the producer who knows the kinds of things that are playing out they know that uh couple are going to get it together or they're going to split up and it's shaping it it's making sure that they have those conversations on a boat on the thames or you know uh with uh where other things they'll happen t- they'll take real life and push it to the extreme yeah and they're good at what they do i mean you you watch those shows and and, and the, it's it's also getting the characters to both be themselves but to be bigger versions of themselves and be willing to do it and to and to make all those compromises, you often think, oh, my God, where's your pride? How can you do that? <laughs> yeah. So you've you've done a lot of producing and commissioning. Am I right to say that uh, 
you've been you've made films as well as you're a filmmaker uh, well i directed some films but quite a long time ago yeah in we're going back 25 years when i was directing films when i was in my 20s and um uh and i'm yeah i made a just a couple of factual films and then i would have carried on doing that but i became a commissioning editor at channel four and then since then i've not made a single film i've shaped i've commissioned hundreds probably thousands of hours uh i've shaped hundreds would you like to do that yeah i'd love to do that again it's the the best bit it's the best bit (laughs) but it's one of those things you know i'm i'm one of the people running a company now and we make probably i don't know 50 60 70 hours a year and um and i there are other people who are better at actually being out there in the field and filming it and shaping it than than i am and the thing that i do now is help dream up the ideas and get them commissioned and help shape them and bring in the people and so i have a hand in making mm. lots of things but well, i'm not the, the cru- sole person the crucial hand the, the, the hand that will determine whether the film is going to succeed however well made well how do you think you know looking ahead what's the future for as you call it factual uh, filmmaking well, the current frenzy of crime will probably run for several more years, I suspect, that we'll have two or three years now of tech crime. And then I don't know what the next area of crime will be, but at some point, like with all of these things, they get saturated and and maybe in five years' time, people will go, I can't bear it, no more crime. And then another genre will come along. I don't know what that is. It's... um. But the, there's always a new one, isn't there? There's been so many. You're right. Very, very similar ones. A lot revolving around multi-level marketing, for example. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. A, a crypto of, queen. and crypto, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, uh, but once all those stories have been told, and they've been told again and again and again, at some point, I think the interest levels start to wane. If I think back to when um, I first got the role as director of programmes at channel five and before then actually uh, and i was thinking what what's the next big genre and we realized that you could tell documentaries about people who had a an extraordinary ability or an extraordinary disability and it was a whole area that hadn't really been explored my uh, academic background was doing psychology and I knew about so many of these really fascinating case studies from psychology and they'd never made their way onto television and so we ploughed a lot of time and money into making those shows that went out under a strand called Extraordinary People and then Channel 4 copied it with their strand called Body Shock and then America ran their strand on the Channel TLC and then Europe ran their strand and before you knew it, it became a really established genre of documentary making uh, and it probably ran for the best part of 10 years uh, and it was everywhere it was all over all, all to, the BBC did it and, as well and now those films are nowhere to be seen they've kind of they saturated and you, you have to look quite hard to find them anymore and so I, I think the same could happen with crime and another genre will come along who knows what it will be um, I, I think a possible growth area is um, polemical documentaries, political documentaries, because um, so many people don't trust, it's the same with the obvious, really, isn't it, what politicians say, but they will trust a 
film that their friends have recommended. And where will they be shown? <laughs> well, they might be... The BBC won't show them. No, 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 but... but um, some of them get shown in cinemas like yours, I would hope, and um, and some of the streamers will show them, and um, and sometimes they're made by crowdfunding, and then they get shown in festivals, and then they're good, and they get picked up by streamers or others, and and there are things that need to be said on quite a big platform where. Um, a film like kind of Social Dilemma that was on Netflix about uh, social media and the power of the companies in Silicon Valley to manipulate us and our children into keeping you watching because the value is you, the eyeball. Uh, and uh, a lot of that was surprising. And that film has had a impact way beyond what anyone would have imagined, I think, Um and uh, and so yeah, I can see there being more and more films like that where the funding perhaps comes from crowdfunding rather than any individual because that's right, the broadcasters are less likely to get behind it in the first place, and the streamers are less likely to f- fund it from the outset. But then, if it's a success, it will be picked up. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, in as much as um, video uh, digital filming is becoming so much cheaper, there'll be a lot more polemical documentaries as you say but i think there will be a a a market demand for them because for for so many decades public service television has catered for a kind of catholic range of tastes uh, and people watch yeah bbc channel 4 itv channel 5 in vast numbers but now all those channels are basically dying in their current form and if you look at audience figures that you know for for so many years, EastEnders and Coronation Street, over 10 million people were watching each episode. Now they do well to hit 3 million. And um, and documentaries that could have in the past got 5, 6 million viewers, again, are doing well to hit a million. And the direction of travel is just ever diminishing. And so as all of that curated public service content gets less and less viewed, how are the, the needs for content actually fulfilled and i suspect in time maybe it will be uh particular streaming platforms that emerge or maybe it will be zones within other platforms like netflix and there must be a way of people who want that kind of content finding it because there's clearly a demand for it It might be niche but it's it's uh, a strong demand and it's a strong demand i imagine in every country uh and it's crucial to keep that going that you don't you don't uh, allow a, an entertainment market to squeeze it out yeah ideally it'd be accessible as well so that you don't have to make a lot of effort to root through to find it thank you very much oh, it goes yes. in no time doesn't yes. it yeah it's been a good good chat <laughs> it has yes this was the garden cinema film talk you can find out more about the cinema screenings and seasons on our website, thegardencinema.co.uk, and follow us, send us comments and feedback on our social media, at The Garden Cinema. Thank you for listening.